Okay. 2 Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live a holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure, secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. adhere to the Mayan calendar which predicts the end of time to occur on the 21st of December of 2012. 
You won't believe this. I thought we'd have more time. The world as we know it will soon come to an end. Stephen, show you video clips like that. You know, <laughs> it's the film 2012. It was released, of course, in 2009. Uh, it's a typical end of the world blockbuster. That's the way in which it was framed. Uh, the government apparently know that this event is happening. The scientists have warned them, and so they take steps for the preservation of mankind across across the globe. And, uh, and what they do is they build some special boats that they call arcs. And these arcs are able to preserve a certain limited number of people from across the globe. And the governments have to work out who they're going to select to be on these arcs. And, of course, you need to select the people who are going to be most able to preserve the human race, the species for the future. So the first people to get on the arcs, of course, are the politicians, right? (laughs) We all know that. And uh, then there are the rich people, right? So important to preserve the rich. And then they think perhaps we need some smart people too, all right? So they have the smart people. Bad news, Stephen, there are no ministers on these ships, right? We, we miss out yet again. Uh, that's the situation. It uses, um, the film used biblical imagery, no question about that, but also you heard it picks up on the Mayan calendar. Now, the Mayans were a South American uh, civilization that were at their sort of peak from 100 AD to 900 AD, And people say that their calendar predicted the end of the world. And some scholars had worked out that 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 would happen in December uh, 2012. Call me cynical, I am cynical probably, but uh, I figure that a a nation that couldn't predict when it was going to end, probably we shouldn't rely on to predict the end of the world, but put that to one side for a moment. They predicted December 2012. In March 2012, so sort of eight months before this was going to happen, there was this survey done across the globe uh, on the internet to try and work out 
how many people thought the world was going to end in December 2012. So it's across lots of, lots of nations. What percentage of people... I mean, I know we've got hindsight, but, you know, at the time, how many, how many people do you think across the globe would have thought the mind's got it right? Just lock away a number in your head. Of those who responded to this online survey, 10% thought the mind's had it right. Okay? 10, 10%. Now, here's the interesting thing. There were a further 14% who didn't know if the date was right, but thought the world would end in their lifetime. So overall, there were 25% of people who thought either December 2012 or sometime in their lifetime. Now, let me say this. There's nothing new about end-of-the-world predictions. Uh, Some of you are old enough to think back to the 1960s where nuclear holocaust was being predicted, and, of course, that's been revived with the North Korean situation coupled with the Trump sort of standoff. You know, people are saying, oh, this... This could get serious, it could be significant. There have been religious groups who've uh, indicated this was going to happen for years as well. I remember uh, being in Sydney at the time when there was a prediction uh, from a little group in North Ryde that the world was going to end at 3 o'clock on a a Saturday morning, you know, and, uh, you know, there was a whole... Typical Australians, right? There were hundreds of people who gathered outside the headquarters of this sect, you know, with their their eskies and their chairs, you know, and everything like that to sort of have a party, you know, because it was the end of the world and three o'clock in the morning came when it was supposed to end and this Bronx cheer came, you know, and then the, the sort of, you know, it was, that's typical Australian. But people have been predicting it for years. Uh, the Greens have been predicting the end of the world through global warming, you know, rise in uh, sea levels and, uh, you know, ice caps melting, uh, temperatures going up, nothing being able to survive, it's very common. And the Bible, let me say, does predict the end of the world. It does it in a number of places. And what we're going to do is dive into that passage that we heard uh, just a few minutes ago read. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. It'd be great if you've got it open in front of you because that is a passage among a number in the, the New Testament that talk about the end of the world and give us God's perspective on the end of the world. This passage uh, talks about the last days. If you're looking for an outline, there's one in the leaflet if you'd like to follow on. So this passage talks about the last days. You pick it up in verse 3 of 2 Peter 3. In the last days. Now, when it says last days, it's not talking about the last 7 to 10 days before Jesus comes back or the world ends. It's not talking about that time frame. The last days in the New Testament is a technical phrase... Right, which means the time between Je- when Jesus died and ascended into heaven and when he will return. Those are the last days. Do you understand? Those are the days we've been in now for 2,000 years, the last days. Okay. The last day is also mentioned. You pick it up in verse 7. Uh, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Or then you go to verse 10, and it says, it talks about the, the day of the Lord, and then it goes on to describe that day as a day when heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Now, when we're talking about the Bible, understand that this, this is not some random day 
This is not some day where, you know, the, the random forces of nature all collide together and the world is destroyed. Uh, it's not that nature won't necessarily be used, but what I'm saying is it's not, not random. The Bible, and in fact here in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're assured that the, the timing and the nature of the end of the world, it's not accidental, it is controlled by God. All right? Totally under his authority. The main point in this passage, though, is less about that sort of speculative end of what's going on. It's much more about how the knowledge of being in the last days, how that should affect us, how we, it should shape our priorities and our thinking. It's interesting that, that most people, of course, who did that survey back in March 2012, uh, They didn't think anything of that prediction or that prophecy or that the world was going to end in their lifetime. And Australians were an even lower percentage. So 10% overall in the survey, the percentage of Australians who thought there might be something in this mind prediction, 5%. Fair enough, we are, by nature, quite a cynical sort of group. Most people think that the world is not going to come to an end. Even if you squeeze people and say, do you think the world's going to end? They might say, yeah, maybe. But then it's sort of put to one side and we carry on as if it's totally irrelevant. That that sort of idea. And that's the sort of issue that gets picked up on here in this chapter. Remember, in this letter, what we're talking about are a group of false teachers in the church. This is the group we're particularly focused on. And they've infiltrated and cast doubts about whether Jesus is going to return to this world in judgment. That's the thing that they're, they're undermining. What do they say? Well, you pick up the argument in verses 3 and 4. In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died... Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. According to the Bible, we've been in the last days now for 2,000 years or 730-odd thousand days. That's quite, quite a long period of time. The end of the world hasn't happened yet. So the argument goes, I'm thinking it's not going to. The sun came up yesterday, right? It came up today it'll probably come up tomorrow. You know, that's the argument that's being put forward in this passage. Notice the response. Verse 5, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So here's the argument. Everything's just been going on exactly the same since the world was made. Life just goes on day after day, week after week, year after year, just as it has since the beginning of creation. No! (laughs) No! That's not what has happened. God did create the world, and we're told when we go back to the early chapters of Genesis, he created it by his powerful word. Now, that 
absolutely defies my imagination. I don't know about you, that, that someone could create just by speaking the whole universe. It's extraordinary. A couple of years ago, uh, my widowed mother was doing a bit of um, sorting out of her, her house and putting, you know, putting some stuff in boxes to throw away. I happened to visit her at that time, and she said to me, uh, Paul, I've, I've got something here that you gave me in year eight when you were at school or when you were in high school. See this, right? I made it in my plastics class. Anyone guess what it is? Apart from, it's a sugar scoop, of course. You knew that, right? And it's so brilliantly well made. Anyway, my mother said, I found this in among my possessions and I thought you might like it back. And I said, what are you talking about? You know, like... I made this and out of love I gave it to you. You're meant to treasure this until you die. You know, she said, look, I'm going to throw it away, but if you want it, you can take it with you, you know. <laughs> now, let me say, this is, this is the, the pinnacle, right, of my creative ability. Right? <laughs> this is it. It all went downhill from this moment on. When we turn to the Bible, what we're told is that God by speaking, brings into existence the whole of this world, all of creation, the whole universe. And by his word, he has authority over the whole cosmos as well. That is just mind-blowing. And then it goes on. You see, the point that's being made here is that the world just, it just wasn't created and God sort of set it going, you know, wound up the spring and off it went. <laughs> the whole world is superintended by God, but according to his code of what's right and wrong as well. So in the days of Noah, Genesis 6 through 9, God actually determined that he would, in effect, end the, end the world by a flood and an ark was built. So as a point of judgment, God intervened into the natural order of things and there was a flood that actually encompassed the whole of creation with just a few people who survived. Here's the point. God judged the world in the time of Noah and he will bring a day of accountability when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this world. This time it won't be a flood like in the film because actually God has said in Genesis chapter 9 that it's not going to be by a flood. In fact, you see in this chapter, the image is one of purifying fire. The idea of, of God's judgment purifying and cleansing as a result of this day when Jesus returned. Now get the logic of it. God... It brought about a time of judgment once in the time of Noah. By his word, he has said Jesus will return and there will be another day of accountability and judgment. God always keeps his word and he can deliver on his promises. Therefore, he will do it. That's the logic of what we're being told here. But notice... Notice why people don't get this. Do you pick it up in verse 5? We're told that people deliberately forget. Isn't that an interesting idea to put together? Deliberately forget. I normally, when I think about forgetting, I normally think I accidentally do it. Right? 
But here is a, a willful forgetting, a willful sort of rejection as the idea. Verse 3, we're told that, that people follow their own sinful desires. See, the image here about the return of Jesus and accountability before God is a bit like when, you know, if you've ever walked down the road and you see someone coming towards you and you think, I, I think I'll prefer not to talk to them today, you know. I never do this, but, you know, to work. and so you cross over the other side of the road hoping they don't sort of spot you. You know, there's, there's a willful avoidance at that point. You know what's going on? It's that sort of idea here. There's a, a willful avoidance of responsibility before God. And in the end, it's because people want to live without accountability to God. And there's a convenience about that. Because if you, if you box God and put him to one side, you get to live the way you want to, however you want. There's a consequence that comes with that, but there's something attractive about trying to be God of your own life. But that's the willfulness that's being spoken of. People deliberately forget. But then it raises a different sort of question. You see, if God has the power and he is committed to bringing about this final day, why is it taking so long? That was picked up so well by, by Stephen in the kids' talk, Stephen and James. Why? Yeah, maybe, maybe the thing is God's sort of forgotten. I mean, he's a very busy God. He's got a lot going on right across the universe, you know. Maybe we're sort of, you know, minor, minor people in this game. But that's not the way it's explained here. You see, we have a God who is both powerful, but he is also loving and he is purposeful. So what's he doing? Why hasn't he, why hasn't he wrapped up history why hasn't he dealt with injustice and heartache and warfare? Why hasn't he sorted out this problem of ethnic cleansing that's going on with the refugees from Myanmar who are being savaged and brutalised over this period of time? Why? You see, God's promising a day when his rule will be finally established. No more sickness... No more heartache, no more injustice. And when I think about that day, I think, oh, bring it on. You know what I mean? Bring it on. I visited a, a mate of mine in a hospital just last week. He was at a gym, uh, had a fall, hit his head, retired guy, hit his head and got brain damage. The guy has been around Trinity in the city for about 50 years. A guy I've known probably for 40 years, lovely man. Every, every child in the whole church thinks, thinks of him as Grandpa Ian, you know. And, and I visited him in the hospital and I'm not sure he recognised me. You know, that's just that slow. I think, oh, bring it on, Lord. Bring the day of the Lord, you know, because I don't like seeing, you know, a good friend like that. Uh, suffering and struggling in that way, a man who is so vibrant. So why not? That's what it says in verse 8. It's a bit cryptic in a way, the answer. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, this is not some 
magician thing, you know, a day, a thousand years, whoop, 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 you know, like we're not playing sort of games in that sense. What's, what's happening here is Psalm 90 is being quoted from, where these words appear. It's a psalm of Moses. Uh, there's a lot in that psalm that's worthwhile in terms of reflecting on the character of God. But here's the thing. Uh, Moses led the people for years and years and years and years with the promise of the land that they're going towards. He got to the edge of that promised land, but he didn't get into the promised land. Even though he'd led them for so many years with that being the goal. And Moses is the one who speaks these words. You know, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years are like a day to you, O Lord. And understand, this is an expression of trust. Elsewhere in the psalm, Moses says, God, you are our dwelling place. Do you get that? Here is a man, you know, looking across the Jordan River to the land that God has promised for so many years, the land that he is not going to go in and dwell in, He's not going to have that as his dwelling place. But he says to God, Lord, you are our dwelling place through all generations. Lord, you always keep your promises. Lord, in you I trust, no matter what is going on around me. Friends, God keeps his promises. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Who remembers what they had for uh, breakfast on May the 8th, 2015? Okay, how are you doing here? You know, May the 8th, 2015. Yeah, can't quite do it. Unless you have the same breakfast every morning. <laughs> In which case, it's really straightforward. Uh, let me say, God knows what you had for breakfast on that day. You see, with the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Friends, God has not lost interest. He doesn't lack the power. He hasn't forgotten. And it's not as if he doesn't care. Friend, the one who sent his son across the universe to become one of us, who died on a cross gave his life when he didn't deserve to for our lives so that we could be forgiven, Uh, That God cares deeply for you and for the whole of humanity. He loves us with a deep heart and a full commitment. So here's the question, why the delay? And effectively it is to create space so that people can sort out their relationship with God. You picked it up in verse 9. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise, as some count slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance the day of the lord comes today right sometime after the mexican lunch i'm sure but comes today right uh, we will all we will all stand before the holy judge of the universe and we will all give accountability for every thought, every action, and even the hidden things that only God knows. That is what will happen on that day. Friends, on that day, 
No one will survive except for those who have repented. Did you hear that word there? God longs for everyone to come to repentance. The idea there is it's, it's a change of direction idea, moving in this direction, changing to this direction. That's the idea of repentance, complete turning around. It's stopping being boss and let God be boss. That's the sort of idea. It's stopping, verse 3, following our own desires, or verse 5, deliberately forgetting about God. It's, it's stopping that action of push, pushing God to one side. And we only escape the judgment by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus, the one who gave his life so that we can be forgiven, the one who died so that we don't have to die for our sins. That's the idea of repentance and trust in Jesus. Friends, this, this section of the Bible, it's a warning to get ready for the day of the Lord. It's a strong warning, but the, the output bit of it, the action bit of it, is to be ready for it. And of course the natural question comes, when will that day be? When will it happen? And fortunately you're here this morning so I can tell you. That is, I'm not going to tell you. But notice what it says, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Thief. Last week, last Wednesday, there was a card in my letterbox and it was telling me that This coming week, on Wednesday, a certain real estate firm in my suburb is going to come through and they will give me a free valuation on my home, which the church owns, which is very kind of them, right? uh, But notice what the the, the rationale, letter in letterbox, coming next Wednesday, phone number to tee up time. Okay, that's that's the way real estate agents work. Our house, we've lived there... 25-odd years now, okay? Our house, I think, has been uh, broken into or had things stolen from it somewhere between four and six times over 25 years, okay? Which I think is pretty average. Most Australians, four to six times. Now, let me say, not once did the thief tell me when they were coming, right? (laughs) Not once. Not once, right? No card and letterbox coming your way next Tuesday to rob your house will be in the neighbourhood be very convenient if you leave all the valuables on the dining room table, save me ransacking the whole house, not once, in, you know, because thieves don't. I mean, of course they don't do that. That's the point here. Jesus is coming like a real estate agent. No, Jesus is coming like a thief, right? No warning. So what's the right question to ask? Well, you pick it up, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? How should you live in the light of this reality? If the world will be destroyed, what's the implication? Let me ask you, if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow, how would it affect your life? be quite honest I feel like it'd be one of the most useless warnings in the world um, because I, I reckon I'd just go into spasm you know like there'd be so many things to do so many people to talk to you know like if I knew that was going to be the case 
it would just, um, it would just probably fry my brain, I reckon. Do you understand the point of this passage is not to talk about the timing of it. The point of this passage is to say there is a reality coming and you don't know when it's going to be. Therefore, prepare for it. Live in line with that reality so when it does happen, your life lines up with the truth to be revealed on that day. Get ready before you're ushered into eternity. That's the point. And it will shape your priorities. And so on the day of the Lord, that day of that fire and destruction, what is going to survive? Will your house survive? Will your money survive? Will your business that you've built survive? And of course, the simple answer is no. And yet sometimes, I reckon sometimes it's just hard for us to grasp that truth. A few years ago, I, um, I had a shed out the back of my house, which I used as my study. And uh, the shed had a bit of a leak in it. I, had, I did, did law at Adelaide University. I had my law degree framed right on the wall. It was sitting on the wall, leak, leak in the roof, directly above where the degree was. Didn't go into the study for a few weeks. Came in, my degree was smashed on the ground. Because what had happened is there'd been this drip into my degree that caused all the ink on my degree to run. It became so waterlogged, it just pulled out off the wall and smashed on the ground. I thought, that's about what it's worth. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's, it's on the day of the Lord, right? Jesus will come to you and say, Paul wonderful you got a law degree from that prestigious Adelaide University, the best university in Adelaide, right? I'm just stirring it. But, you know, the, Jesus isn't going to say that, right? He, it's going to be so irrelevant and dispensed with and put to one side. What's, what's important? I was listening to an interview with some people that was done when a fire went through the York Peninsula a couple of years ago. It was a devastating fire. And I always think it's almost cruel when people put a microphone in front of people who've had their house just completely razed to the ground. So they interviewed this couple whose house had been completely destroyed. They had three children, house totally destroyed, every possession they had totally wiped out. And the, the commentator got in their face, you know, the interviewer, and said... How do you feel having lost everything? <laughs> and uh, they said, oh, no. No, no, we didn't lose everything. We're all alive. And that's what counts. It was only a house and stuff. We're going to replace that. But people, like a family, wasn't touched at all. I thought, yes, you know, like, well done. On the day of the Lord, what counts? What is people, there's no question about that. Because people endure in the scheme of God. That's the way he has designed us. But it's people who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ who will endure with him forever. And that's what counts. And that, when I remember that, it just, it shapes my sense of priority. Because there are people I love who do not follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I think about that, I think, oh, God, 
hold off. And you're kind of, hold off. So there is more time for them to put their trust in you on that day. Because on that day, that is what's going to count. See, it's perspective. It's only a house. It's only a degree. It's only a job. It's only a money. But people and people trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what counts. The other aspect that comes out too, though, because you may be someone who's trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, notice what it says, verse 14. It says we're to look forward to that day and to make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. I'm just so aware that there's a room with lots of people who put their trust in Jesus. If you haven't, let me say, today's the day to repent. Today's the day to remember that there is a day coming when you're accountable. You would have turned from being boss of your own life to saying, no, no, Jesus should be boss of my life. I need forgiveness and to be right with him. If you want to work that out and talk, talk with me afterwards, really happy to talk with you about that. But there are also many people here today who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the word for you. Be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Can I say, friends, if you are dabbling with sin, if you're dabbling with a, a lifestyle or a behaviour that's inconsistent with your following the Lord Jesus Christ, hear the message here and uh, don't be stupid. Do you think Jesus is not coming? Do you think eternity doesn't count? Don't turn from that. And put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and live with that day in mind in line with your following of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'd love to do is just to finish with the last couple of verses that are uh, in this letter because they summarise the whole letter uh, but in a beautiful way summarise the heart of who we're meant to be. Let me just read them as I conclude. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen? Amen.